Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. All right. We are doing this thing. We're having a great conversation. It's about to kick off, about to light the fireworks where you can't turn back. Once you light that fuse, that thing is going to fire. And that's where we're at right now. I am excited to introduce my guest today. If you were listening on the other podcast, we had a great conversation about podcasting over there because he is a fellow podcaster, a serial entrepreneur, a marketer, an investor, host of the 10 Years in the Making podcast, CEO and founder of retention.com. Adam Robinson, welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Hey, we were just talking. I feel feel like we've been on like a thousand different podcasts together. So I'm excited to roll up these non-existent sleeves on the short sleeve shirt and get down to some marketing strategy on this call, right? We're talking, we're talking marketing strategy and I'm going to show up, but I need to pass you this thing. It's pretty heavy, but I, I can tell you work out. Uh, oh, okay. Go ahead. Grab that. Thor's hammer. Boom. Whoa, you did. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam just grabbed Thor's hammer with two fingers and a thumb. That is yeah. evolution right there. Yeah. He, he just literally, I mean, Thor, move aside. Adam Robinson is here. Adam, take Thor's hammer. Smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. Here's one I like to talk about. Yeah. I have been in the world of email for the past 11 years entirely. Um, there is a gut feeling in email marketing, specifically on the consumer side. Yeah. That tells you that you shouldn't email someone more than X. That is false. <laughs> really? That gut feeling saying, don't spam them. Yeah. Well, you're Tell not. So, so I want to qualify that with like a bunch of, you know, sort of asterisks. But if it's a true false, can you over email? My, the answer is false, in my opinion. Really? And I want to qualify that, but yes, um, I think it's just a false belief. So number one, you cannot send someone too many emails that are triggered by activity on your website. If they're okay. doing things and they're sending emails out, you definitely cannot email. I mean, look, maybe you want to put some kind of like only send them one per day or something like that. You don't want to send them 60 in an hour. But like, I think a lot of people might think that one email per day is too many. If it is yeah. being triggered off of behavioral activity on your website, there is no one per day is not too many. I promise you, I'm sure there are vendors that have tested this, but it is not too many. That's number one. Okay. I think number two, so long as you are diligent about pruning non-engagers off of your list, and again, I'm not talking about five emails per day, right? Like, but within reason, which is, you know, daily or whatever, like you cannot oversend to people who are highly engaged with your content. Right. I might, you know, if you were getting super sophisticated, 
if you really wanted to send three times a day to people, I might only send three times a day to like your audience of clickers, but that's going to be like 1% of your total list, right? Your most engaged can be sent to more frequently. Your least engaged, you should send to the less frequently, like the least frequently. Right. But in general, if you're doing that, you can have more emails going out to more engaged people and less emails going out to less engaged people, but that's not over-emailing. If you're sending very frequent emails to people that are not opening or clicking them, that you can do and hurt yourself. <laughs> that, it's not even about the customer at that point because they're not even opening it and engaging with it. It's about hurting your own email sending reputation, right? But Got it. I do not, uh, uh, but circling back to the beginning point, the myth I am debunking is you cannot actually engage, you cannot actually over email someone who is either engaging with your website or engaging with your email content frequently. Okay. So if they're engaging with the site or, or emails, go for it, right? Like if they yeah. want to binge, binge. Yeah. It's like, you can't just have one Pringle, right? Yeah, they're like your top 1% of users, right? Like yeah. you gotta, you're top of mind. You gotta stay top of mind. Think about everything else in the world is trying to pull their attention away from what you got going on. For sure. Every moment of the day. Okay, so th and this is like, feed the people that are hungry. Yes. Cool. Stay like away that. from the people that are not hungry would be my advice. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, so let's talk about indicators. I know we were hinting at it a little bit with pruning your email list. What tells you they're hungry? Yeah. Uh, activity like opens in the past 30 days, clicks okay. in the past 30 days, you know, things like this. And the, the, the metrics vary per business, but like a pretty good, a pretty good indicator of your active list. And this goes for B2B2 would be people who have engaged with the content in the last 30 days, either on your website or in an email. Talk to, let's talk a little bit more about pruning because I think a lot of people, I know I used to feel like this too. I, you, you feel like every email address you collected is like a piece of gold in a dragon's lair. Like you, you're amassing treasure, you know? So yep. the idea of getting rid of these people, pruning them off, you know, unsubscribing them because they're not engaging with you feels feels kind of sad. Yeah. But you got to do it. If you want to, so what we're talking about now is a conversation about deliverability. Deliverability is the art and science of landing in the inbox. Deliverability is a virtuous and vicious cycle, both. <laughs> the better your deliverability is, the better your deliverability will be tomorrow. The worse it is today, the worse it will be tomorrow. It's hard to stay steady. The way that you improve your deliverability is more engagement, more positive engagement, and less negative engagement per email sent, per thousand emails sent, however, however you want to think about that. A highly engaged, a highly positive engaged list will, and with low negative engagement, will do much better today and in the future than lo low positive engagement, high negative engagement, or just very little engagement at all. 
Low open rates beget lower open rates. High open rates beget higher open rates. If that makes sense. It doesn't make sense. So what, how do you solve that? You just take away the people that aren't opening your shit. That's how. It's very simple. You can decide when that is. 90, 180, 360 days. But like if someone has stopped opening your email, you need to stop sending them regular email. You know, and this is a good myth to smash too, because I think a lot of people might think, okay, they didn't respond to the last one, but this next one, next time, I'll get them to yeah. something. I, I don't I don't know. I don't have the stats off the top of my head anymore, but like when we, I owned an, a newsletter, you know, SaaS, like that was the first, my first company. Like all we did was yeah. send bulk email for people. The amount, the probability that someone will open an email that has not opened it in six months or whatever is yeah. almost zero. Well, it's not zero. It is almost zero because you know what happened? You're in their spam folder. Right. You know, They're like never that's gonna what see happened. You. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so, so like you're sending to them and then Gmail's like, oh, well, like half of this guy's email is going into spam folders. So I'm going to make more go into spam folders. <laughs> If you delete all those people that are not opening your email, then almost no one's going into a spam folder because you deleted right. everyone who wasn't opening it. Right. So then Gmail's like, man, like almost none of this guy's email is going into spam folders. I'm going to make more go into the inbox rather than the promotions folder. That's kind of how the whole thing works, except they use AI and like blah, 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 blah. And, but like har harping on, so like you're, you got a you know, solid, you know, the, the D to C background and all this, the idea of like Royal Caribbean sends me emails all the time about cruises and I normally would unsubscribe from people, but I know that at some point I'm going to book one. Now they don't go in my spam box though. They're going into my main inbox, but I'm not. But you're probably opening and scrolling on some of them. Some of them. Yeah, yeah exactly. So like, yeah. you know, that's not spam. If you're opening right. and scrolling and knowing that, you know what I mean? Like what yeah. spam is, is spam, the definition of spam would be unsolicited bulk email. That's right. spam house's definition of it. What Gmail thinks spam is, is something that is not relevant to you. Something that you don't want, right? How does it know what you want? The same way it knows what, you know makes a good web page given a search query, right? It's like time on page. Right. Man, that's like a mic drop moment right there. Well, the fact, look, like, I've been oh, doing yeah, the, this a the while. The textbook definition of, well, sperm is this and this and this. Yeah, right. but who cares what you think? What, yeah. what we really care about is what Gmail thinks. And to your yeah. point, Gmail sees you not utilizing that. So it's going to have a broader definition of spam to protect you. And so you keep using their app. Yeah. And Gmail's yeah. pretty good. Like if you look yeah, in your spam folder, like yeah. you're not interested in that much of it. And real spam doesn't even make it into the spam folder at Gmail. Oh, 100%, right? Like real Actual spam. real spam yeah. doesn't go in there. Yeah. Doesn't go in the main box for sure. Yep. Makes me want to pull up in my spam box and see if there's any unwitting yeah, victims that have fallen into this thing. Yeah, look at people who think they're sending me marketing emails. Nope. Not not coming through. Dear Casey, I hope this email finds you well. Sorry, Sophie. It didn't come through. Yeah. What in my spam box? Damn. Okay, so you got to be kind of disciplined about this, huh? You have to be a little bit 
angry and aggressive with that email sending to to prune these people out if you want to turn that vicious cycle into a positive one. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, that sounds hard. That's like that's the struggle of every company like Salesforce Marketing Cloud Clavio, you know, Active Campaign, whoever, right? Sure. Like what what Pardo, like they need you to on your own volition delete emails who are not engaging. It's kind of bad for them because they pay because because the brand pays you less or the the business pays yeah, you less. Pay but for like contact. Yeah. But like it's way better in the long run because it's a healthier sending ecosystem. You know. The, yeah. That's how it all works. It's it's a it's a hard problem, you know. Um, but you just have to do. It. Just have to do it, and the benefits are going to outweigh. And yeah, you said, or are we? I mean. I guess you could unsubscribe them and hope that one day they'll show proof of life on like your website. What, what we would say is like, if you really want to be disciplined after 90 or 180 days, put them in an unengaged list, mail them once a month. If they don't engage then after a year, tick them off a year and a half, whatever. Because then there's this danger zone it crosses into where an inbox that's unused for a year turns into a spam trap or a honeypot. And if you start hitting yeah. a lot of those, then you're really fucked. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm in. I'll, there you I'll, go. Yeah. Tri trim your list. <laughs> now, Set up once list we've trimmed it, though, rules. back to your point, once we've trimmed it, go to town responding. To I would engagement. say have a tier, have a tiered approach. Have some people that you're going to going to town on, which are, your most highly engaged people, yeah, you know, go to town on behaviorally driven emails and then be reasonable about everybody else, you know? And what's reasonable? It just depends on how, you know, I would say yeah. you can email your 30 day. It does depends on business, but I think you can email your 30 day openers every day if you want. Okay. Yeah. But like, don't email people every day who haven't opened in six months. That's stupid. You're going to hurt yourself. Where does a value fit into this? Where does like an email that actually is good for them? It, is that a component or is that really like a secondary thought after all of this is considered? Like if you had something crazy to send in our market, it's Black Friday. Black Friday, yeah. people would just send the promotion to the whole list, right? Because it's yeah. the best thing that happens all year. Just yeah. is what it is, you know? You don't have a Black Friday level value as a merchant every day. Right. So I just think about it that way. It's like, if there's something insane that you're like, this is the most valuable email I'll, I'll ever send, send it to your whole list, you know? But like, no one's putting that type of value out every day or no one would ever not engage with their list every day. Right? It's very, you know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. the nature of the beast. I definitely got the idea from you that I, I want to send an email saying... This is the most valuable email I'll ever send. Yeah. It'll be downhill after this. See right. what happens. Then you, actually, yeah. you have to like fulfill that promise though, right? If like yeah. they open it and it's like, check out my new website. Right. And then. Yeah, exactly. They open it. It's like, here's five different ways to pay me money. <laughs> <laughs> spam report. Right. Block, block, yeah. block, block. Spam, spam, spam. Um, okay.
do you do you have do you have any I mean I've definitely heard of, and you mentioned, you know, moving people who aren't engaging onto some, you know, some other tempos and whatnot. Do you have any tricks in terms of getting that engagement from people? I mean, you know, you just go down the funnel, right? So yeah, your subject line is what gets people to open it. Yep. And be engaging, you know, you got to speak with your brand's voice, but like, don't be clickbait. Right, right. There, the, you just have to say something big to get them to open the email, and then the email has to deliver on that promise, or you will right. lose trust. Right, right. And then the next most important thing, by a long shot, the, the subject line is the most important because yep. you're getting them to open it. Then the above the fold portion of the email is the next most important. I think email should only be looking to get someone to do one thing. Singular attention towards one thing. If you're trying to get somebody to get back to your site, make the button huge. Give them one call to action, one reason, and send them to the right place. And then all the rest of the, you know, of course there's some, you know, it's like, you know, Groupon doesn't do that, right? Because they're like a right. catalog of offers, right? Right. But like in general, that would be the advice that I would give on emails. Um, okay. And then below the fold doesn't really matter. Like, you know okay. what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's like get them to open it and then hit them in the face with something. Just get them back to your it, side. It is the That's point. It. So once they've opened it and top of the fold, are we clicking through? Is that? I mean, if that's what you want to do, if you're sending somebody a long form newsletter, then you just, it's the same rules as writing a, you know, writing web copy or whatever. You just right. got to get somebody to keep reading. Yeah. Keep reading. Got it. Think of it, think of it as a funnel. That's cool that you're yeah. sort of presenting it that way. Um, do you, what do you see changing? Like talk, talk to me about the future. Do you see, do you see the behaviors shifting? Sounds like we have to shift as marketers, but then do you see the consumer behavior shifting? Do you see the recipients? Are they acting differently than they did when you're sending out old newsletters? I love this saying that the E in email means employed. Yeah. So. Yes, there is always going to be the next means uh, for someone to communicate, it's like for people to communicate with each other. There's always a new TikTok. There's always something else. Email has a role. Like, I think people would have been shocked in 2020, 2012, if you were to say, and look, I'm in e-commerce. We sell the e-commerce vendors, right? Like the number one channel, like email is... 25 to 35% of people's revenue, like 20 on the low end. Mm -hmm. That's baffling that that's still the case. Given yeah, how still, little right? people feel like they use email these days. Like, I don't know. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, you know, email used to do a thousand things. Now it probably does a hundred things or whatever. It, like the, the, it'll keep narrowing, but it'll do what it does really well. Yeah. You know, it's it, it, not to be dissuaded by the shiny factors that are flying around the new tech and new, new, new social platforms. It's like, it's a steady, yeah, do it right. And you see it add a real significance to your bottom line. Yeah, it's, it's an owned audience as well. Right. Which like, you right. Know, it performs, you know, worse and worse. You own it. It's yours. You don't have to pay Mark Zuckerberg a text just to access yeah. your own list. Yeah. Your list. Huh. Real quick question. Do you, 
listen to podcasts? Do you read books? Where do you like to get your information from? What kind of things do you like to absorb? Anything you're absorbing right now that we should take a look at? So I occasionally listen to podcasts. I have been a little bit more recently. You know, the big guy, Joe Rogan, Lex Friedman, they interviewed. Yeah, I like Lex. Kind of interesting guests. I just listened to Mark Andreessen on Lex Friedman, and I thought it was was great. He has a positive view of AI, which is nice, because everybody else is like, it's going to kill us all, you know. (laughs) End Um, of the world. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, and then, you know, people often ask me um, what they should read if they're starting a software business. I always mm. recommend a book called Four Steps to the Epiphany by Steve Blank and yep. the Y Combinator blog. Those are my two favorites. There's a ton of okay. information there. Um, so, yeah. What was your biggest takeaway from the Epiphany book? Because I'm pretty sure I have it, but I'm pretty sure I haven't gotten beyond like four pages. It's very dense. It reads like a textbook. Yeah. Uh, it's not story-based like most business books. It kind of is, actually. It starts off with a story. Um, but it reads like a textbook. So... The main takeaway, in my opinion, of that book is that you, as you are, you have this pro, so like, if you were to put it in the old way, new way terms, the old way is you build a product, you have a launch party, and you expect everyone to sign up for your product and use it, right? Like, Got it. So you're building and you're not really, you know, product come first, then you go find customers. In Got his it. process, you're literally developing your market as you're building the product and you have this product hypothesis, which you're building towards and you are making sure people will pay for those features before they even start getting built, you know, um, which is very different. And if you find that people aren't willing to pay for those features, you stop and start over again with a different hypothesis rather than, rather than building the features they tell you, you want, you know, it's like, uh, so he calls it customer development, but like, I think, a lot of successful startups are started that way, even if the founder didn't realize it. Sure. Like they'll start as a salesperson for a given organization. They'll find an underserved part of that platform and they'll be like, well, would you pay me 20,000 a month if I built this for you? You know? Um, (laughs) And they're like, yeah, I would. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. So... So that, um, that kind of gets me curious, like, who, who are you? Who are you? We've talked on a couple of pods. Like, take me back in time, like little Adam days. Did you know you're going to be reading the Epiphany book, being an entrepreneur, creating apps and building things all around you when you're, when you're a little guy? What did you want to be? A little guy? I'm not sure. In no. college, I wanted to be an entrepreneur in... But then I went to Wall Street and became, I worked at Lehman Brothers as a credit default swap trader for 10 years. Through the crisis, went to Barclays after, quit a couple of years after that. And then uh, my roommates in New York in my first apartment started Vimeo, the video sharing website in the wow. apartment that I was wow. living in. So I watched that whole thing happen and I really was seduced by uh, what I perceived to be them getting much more out of their their days than I was simply sitting there trying to extract as much money as possible out of the machine. Yeah. So, yeah. So you, you saw that contrast that that's great. That, so like you were sort of like, you know, getting a chance to watch it happen for real, the startup adventure and yeah, that for sure kind of catch the bug from that, but it wasn't until banking things. I mean, what, I mean, what happened? Did you, 
go leap to go do something? Or was it like the market was imploding because financials were crazy? I kind of, I moved to London after the crisis because my boss thought that Europe would come unwound in the same way that 2008 caused the U.S. to come unwound. Sure. That didn't happen. So everybody got short and lost money who went over there. <laughs> and then I came back and the market had shrunk and there weren't any good jobs. And I'm like, I'm not going to like, like I'd saved enough money to where I was like, I don't really love doing this. So I'm not going to like take a job at a third tier bank just to like say that I, you know, that I wanted to do something. I wanted to tr at least try to do something else before I went back to that. So my view was I'm going to spend this money that I saved starting a company and I spent every nickel. <laughs> every nickel. Yeah, it, it was not, it was not good. It was not easy. It's so, um, wait, tell me about the evolution of retention then. Was it like, we're going to call this right away and let's go get the domain or how did it start? Well, no, I would never advise buying a super expensive big domain before you start a company because I think it gives you misleading signals about product market fit. The company was originally called Get Emails. It started in a, as a feature in my first company and um, people loved the feature but wouldn't use the rest of the product. So <laughs> I decided that it would be better if it were spun out and connected to everything. So and then Two and a half years in, we were doing more than just getting people emails and we had honed in on big Shopify stores as our ideal customer profile. And I thought getting the biggest possible domain would be like a huge brand play. Cause like every time you hear it, you're like, well, what do those guys do? Yeah. Retention.com. You know? yeah. yeah. What do those guys do? Like, it's everyone, like thinks they, everyone, everyone thinks they've heard of it before. So right. you have this army working for you, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, I don't think it's good until you've reached a certain point, right? Like in, you know, I don't know what that point is, but I thought it was right. the right time for us a year ago, which is when I got there. Are you happy about it? Or would you, would oh, you wait next time? Incredible move. Yeah. Incredible. Okay. But we were also, right. we were also well on our way. Like we, we yeah, were like, yeah, yeah. So it was the know, right time. Yeah. Like it was like, we were, you know, 10, 12 million ARR with like six people. So Jeez. I did a bunch of stuff to like go way bigger. Um, and that was one of the moves. So talk to me about what did, I mean, what, what does retention.com do and what are you excited about? Like what, what's happening? So we, our core technology is identity, on-site visitor identity. Uh, we solve a bunch of upstream and downstream problems. The first problem we solved was Visitor hits the website. They don't fill out a form. We give our customers an email and they can email them. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, then for e-commerce stores, there's this problem where people are not getting sent abandoned cart emails unless they're actually logged in or somehow authenticated right. into the Shopify store. So our right. identity tech helps them identify people to send abandoned carts to that would not have got them otherwise. There's when they a new click on it, does it know their cart too? So it's not just like, come back, don't forget about yeah. us, but you actually connect it to the cart? Yeah. Because like the, car, the, cart, the cart's there, it's just the user's not logged in. Right. So when you're on the page and the, that event gets fired, you pull the cart along with it. It's, it's great. 
it's really that's effective. really cool yeah and um, in fact you save that cart somewhere so that you can be tied yeah. into that email that's pretty sick yeah the and browser does, the browser does it for you because they're on think about it they're they're on that page at that yeah. moment yeah so we don't have to save anything it's just something you can pull from the page oh. at that time like, like it's cached on them or yeah it's just like like they're on the Shopify site when they have something in their cart and they're not logged in and they leave and we can identify that person at the last second, we grab the cart and send the event over to Clavio. Sick. I can see yeah. how you would easily have a ton of ARR from that because that seems like a no brainer feature that every shopping cart on the planet should have. Yes. I mean, it's a great product for sure. Jeez. Okay. I like it. In whether it's the form. Now, now what do you say about, um, is there potential? You know, shifting over more to the B2B side, someone comes to your site, they don't fill out a form. Some would say, well, they, they're not a good fit because something, something, so don't chase them. But what have you seen in your experience if you do end up having their email and you do chase yeah, them? Yeah, so like we're exploring the B2B use case now. Sure. There is several ways you could do it one so like number one these are all consumer emails so you would have to ping it against a b2b database and get a linkedin url or a business email then the reason that i have never been excited about b2b is because the time to value is super long true versus right. a shopping cart you know right yeah, away that yeah you just made some so money. so a way to shorten the time to value is if you hit their crm with it was, it was as if it was like a lead scoring mechanism based upon website activity. So you're like, this person was literally on your pricing page yesterday, call them, right? So that's right. something to, that's something where you could very easily imagine that that would be very valuable for people. Um, we haven't gotten around to it yet, but like, I think it's possible, you know. Got it. Okay. Well, my next question is a bit of a hypothetical question, if you're ready yeah. for this. Uh, because see, I, I may or may not have a time machine up here in New Hampshire, right? So you come yeah. visit, we get some beer, get some lobster, right. we go use the time machine, you know? Um, now yeah. it's a particular kind of time machine though, because it goes back in time and it, and you actually get to see yourself four days after graduating from college and yeah. you get to have a conversation with yourself. What would you tell yourself? Don't go to wall street, go into the internet for Nice, nice. Skip it all together. Start. Yeah, like, uh, you know, this is just a better, it's hard to say because I like made a lot of money, which allowed me to like bootstrap my companies. But right. um, this is just so much better of a life, in my opinion, for me. But uh, I don't know. It's, that's what I, gun to my head, you're going to die in one second. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Do you say short Lehman Brothers too? <laughs> well, you would have gotten no short Lehman Brothers in 2007 because you would have gotten, <laughs> as we used to say, you would have gotten your nuts ripped off in those first four years <laughs> being short. <clears throat> the stock like quadrupled and then it like went down. Yeah. That's true. That's, don't get out too soon. So, 
Um, where do people, if they want to reach out, they want to connect to you, uh, information on retention.com, reach out to you, where do you want them to go? Um, I'm doing a lot on LinkedIn. Retention Adam is my handle. My Twitter handle is retention Adam doing a lot on Twitter. Um, retention.com is our website. Uh, and those are the three places. Sick. Dude, Adam, thanks so much, man. It was, we, we got a chance to chat podcasting. Now we've talked marketing. I'll have to invent another podcast so we can have you back for a hat trick. Yeah, totally, dude. That'd be great. This has been cool, man. Thank you so much for coming on here. Everyone, this has been another crazy cool adventure of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.